I think if you're just thinking of it from a uh, personal wealth building perspective, I would probably be buying something in my backyard, renting it, and uh, trying to manage it and maintain it myself as efficiently as possible, rather than trying to fly halfway across the country to find the right market, the right time, the right entry point, the right management team. I, I just don't think it makes sense to take on those risks if you're looking for a deal or two that you could just saddle up with for the next 30 years and let the real estate work for you. But you know, if the goal is to take really more of a business approach, I think you you have to be willing to get uncomfortable. There's going to have to be leaps that you take in the interest of just learning, partnering, continued education, all of those things. Your network is your net worth. Come listen to some of the most successful people I know. Share invaluable knowledge, stories, and advice in real estate, business, and beyond. This is Weiss Advice. Whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to Weiss Advice. I am your host, as always, Yona Weiss. Today, I am joined by Josh Eidingon. What's going on? He is the managing partner and founder of DXE Properties. What's up, Josh? Not too much. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, it is my pleasure. I'm glad we uh, had the opportunity to to connect and and speak. You guys are focused, you know, just to guys give a little bit of context to our listeners. Multifamily value add, uh, you know, really focused on the heavy management aspect of the of the business. I would say, and you know, growing. I don't know. How would you say? So predominantly focused on multifamily. We own the majority of our holdings in the southeast across a handful of cities and states. So North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia. We own in Charlotte, North Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina, Atlanta, Augusta. We've owned in the Midwest before. We've owned in Florida before. And uh, actually, as part of our portfolio, we do still own a couple um, neighborhood retail centers here in the New York metro. Oh, very um, nice. I would have, have held up pretty well throughout this pandemic. So there's a lot of uncertainty if you asked me how they were doing nine months ago, but it's it's good to see that they weathered the storm pretty well so far. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. And what's kind of most impressive is that a lot of this has really been in the last couple of years. So you've kind of transitioned more, much more full-time into this. Definitely. So we're a newer company. We've been at it, my, myself and partner, I'd say three, four years full-time. We have admittedly had our own entrepreneurial paths where we did some deals on, on our own prior to coming together. So there was some base that we were working around, but yeah, we really committed to this. Yeah, three to four years ago. How did you How did you find real estate? I mean, was this something you grew up around? Was it something you had a little background in beforehand, or did you kind of fall upon it somehow? I had no background, no family involvement. My family's on their own, you know, primary residence, and that's it. So no one's really ever done any sort of real estate investment on the family side. I just I working at uh, the beach, actually, like uh, delivering chairs and, and uh, umbrellas to people. And I just started reading books. I read like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and a lot of that, that, you know, series of like intro level real estate books. And it just made sense. So I was committed to getting into real estate, winding, weaving path, met like property manager. And, and he ultimately introduced me to my first deal in Cincinnati, Ohio, a 20 unit distress deal. But it was not Traditional. I didn't go to school for, to school for business management, worked at a software company, 
cut my salary almost in half to work for a real estate investment company once I was all about real estate and um, sort of did it in a maybe less than traditional path, I would say. Definitely. I mean, listen, everyone has their own path. And what's most fascinating about uh, the people that I interview, including yourself, is that everyone has a different path. And But the common denominator we see is that people are looking for change. People are looking for uh, a way to get out of the rat race, a way to kind of be entrepreneurial and you know, take their financial freedom and their, you know, future in their own hands. And I think that's something that you've done. And at this point, it's more, it's grown into a business, right? It's grown into a real investment company where you're bringing on investors as well. Definitely. Definitely. I, I mean, we've been bringing on investors always. I, uh, I knew no other way. <laughs> really? So even that first deal in Cincinnati, you had uh, investors? Even that first deal, yes. It was all uh, all, all debt, basically. I just borrowed money from immediate friends and family that were willing to take a flyer on me because they liked me. But that that was that was the start. And that's sort of never looked back, learned how to do it, I'd say, more the right way or the more responsible and accurate way. But it's been gradually and really building that same base. Even now, we have no more than 50 or 60 investors that participate in I won't say every single deal, but the majority of the deals that we do, it's it's just that. And, and it's been working well. And it's taken that first person that wrote me a $10,000 check, you know, nine years ago, that's now writing hundred plus thousand dollar checks over and over again. Wow. So it's a real step-by-step process to get to this. Sure. Because there, I mean, listen, if someone sees your commitment and sees your dedication and sees the return of their capital, I mean, I assume that that first uh, guy who, who wrote you that first check for 10000 nine years ago didn't lose his money. Right, exactly. <laughs> it would be a different story, right? So just continuing on that path, you obviously talked to many versions of myself, right? And in, in all shapes and sizes that do either much of the same, maybe a little bit different, but the business only has so many variables to it. So, you know, we do much of the same. I, I mean, what do you see... I guess some people you know better than others, but what do you see that you you like and dislike in terms of what's out there in the marketplace today, the way people are raising money, how it's being done, what's like concerning, not concerning? I, I, just curiosity, because how I, I know how how many of these you do, so I I, I wonder which ones you wrap up and go. <laughs> you know, I talk to a lot of people, not just on this podcast. I'd say in this podcast, I talk to. Uh, just a very small amount of people, but on a daily basis in the business model and with the cost segregation, I'm talking to property owners and investors, you know, many every single day. And I will, you know, I'll be honest with you. There are some things I see that are a little concerning. Uh, as you mentioned, I'd love to hear your opinion on this as well. But one thing for certain is that, you know, it's kind of fun. We bring up the example of your first deal, right? Nine years ago. Well, everyone has to start somewhere, Right. The question is, are you starting with borrowing $10,000 from a family member or a family friend who knows you, who trusts you, and like you said, they like you, or are you, you know, starting on your first deal trying to raise, you know, six figures or, or seven figures from people that don't know you and, mm-hmm. and really don't, you don't have that track record. And that's a little concerning when, when I see that. So to me, that's probably the biggest thing that, I, that I'm seeing right now. Yeah, I, I mean, I would, as a continuation on that, I, w- I would pinpoint the same concern. I mean, I think what I did was, was border a little bit crazy 
frankly. And maybe it does take a little bit of craziness if you don't have a track record and you do want to get started. And last thing I would say to someone is don't get into this business. But in the same breath, it's it's such a huge responsibility when you do take on investor money that I, I think you really owe it to yourself to, I mean, maybe it's partnering with the right person. Maybe it's making sure you're well enough educated, whatever that may mean. Right. All right. There's many levels of uh, education. Yeah. Exactly. But it it could be a little bit of the Wild West. So it's it's a it could be a concerning time, I think, for that first time passive investor that knows no one and is just sort of looking to jump in. So I I don't know. And I passively invested myself when I was getting started and 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 tried to do that same betting. But it it's interesting. I think at some point there'll be a, a shakeup that'll will weed out the people that perhaps shouldn't be in this business. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, when when something like that happens, meaning we all should be rooting for each other, right? If you're uh-huh. investing in this business and you, you know, are and this goes for every industry and anything that you do, right? You want to see other people succeed. You know, so you want to root for other people, but because you you're kind of attached to that whether whether you like it or not, right? People are going to look at multifamily investors all the same if one guy messes up, right? And even yeah. nowadays, uh, you know, recently there was a, another report of, you know, someone who was caught in fraudulent activities, right? Raising money and, mm-hmm. or not raising money, a Ponzi scheme, these kind of things. And when that's seen by the general public, there's a little bit of a, a bad light that's shed uh, upon everyone in the industry. And I, I remember Brian Burke, who's a, you know, pretty famous syndicator he's been in the business 30 years or so he's a guest on uh, on this podcast episode 39 you guys want to check that out and he said something really interesting he said that the number one rule in raising money and buying you know buying deals bringing on investors the number one concern as a syndicator is how not to lose your investors money right it's mm-hmm. not about how to make the money in the deal it's not about how to get the best you know debt it's not about how to all the number one concern is always how not to lose their money so when you go with that mindset it's a total reframing i, I think that's totally fair and as, as long as that happens you know how forms are being filed with the sec or whatever it's it's a non-issue because no, no one's going to care it's one thing go sideways that things go, could go extra sideways i guess Hundred percent. What are you seeing right now in terms of the market, the current market? I mean, you guys are still actively buying deals, right? Um, we closed the deal in December, which we were excited, happy to do. It was actually a loan assumption off-market deal that we were able to get in front of, and it was a, a tick. I actually had a old property that I sold. We did a ten thirty-one and um, partnered with another entity to take that down. It's tough. I mean, it's always tough. If you had me on a year ago, I would say the same exact thing right. or a year that. But um, it does feel like there's there's extra little in terms of just deals that are out there. You know, our admittedly, our focus has shifted a little bit. We started a little more focused on the workforce, pseudo affordable housing space where we would do, I'll call it lower to lower end renovations to really like an absolute focus on location where we really don't care about vintage of the property as long as it's well located and we could bring money to it with a good, comfortable capital stack and mm-hmm. good about that underlying location. That's all we care about. So um, so, so what makes what makes the best location for you? So it's com- I think the first thing, and it's, it's simple, but it's just what's our 
surrounding home prices around us. What's median home prices? Um, because I, I think that represents very quickly and easily, you know, what type of demographic are we able to tap into? What's the affordability look like of the people that are already there some way, somehow? You know, schools, proximity to call it stronger retail, all of that's important. But I, I think home prices and just adjusted median incomes in those areas, like the last deal we bought, median income for the current renters was over $50,000, which is, you know, it's always relative. But in a submarket of Atlanta where rents are $1,000, it, it shows that there could be good reason to believe room for growth from an right. affordability perspective. Gotcha. Okay. And so, I mean, typically I, I assume these are, you know, uh, working for workforce housing type properties that, you know, you're not looking at class A uh, for a thousand dollars. No, no. Um, it's B, yeah, B class. I mean, most, I said a thousand, I mean that one, our average rents were $1,200 when we stepped into it and we think we could take them into the 14s, but yes, it's people that are either, I'll, I'll call them grayish collar. Uh, so maybe some blue collar, some some white collar, but just a, really a mixed bag of tenants is, is what we're often catering to as we get above, I'll say above that C-class space. Interesting. And you mentioned earlier that you guys also have a little bit of retail in your portfolio in, uh, in New York where you're located, right? You're investing multifamily in the Southeast, which are great you know, emerging markets and growing markets. But locally, you have some some retail properties. And that's something that you're continually looking for also? Not actively. Uh, I would say that both of the purchases we had were unique, situational. We're a group that we're going to do maybe two deals in any given year, and we're going to underwrite an offer on hopefully a, a deal or two a week. Both of those deals were just really unique situations, one through an accountant in a state situation, the other one through just a personal broker friend that knew of me. And I think there was a meaningful discount day one that we stepped into. And we believed in the thesis and still do. And it was a, I'll say, I'll say a bet, but it was a bet on just some of these employers that were not going to go anywhere. Just the neighborhood one's a Dunkin' Donuts, there's a CBS in there, there's a pizzeria, just the type of spaces that that should be there for a long time that are going to hopefully need to be there for a long time. We have another with a lawn, laundry person, a deli. So those types of tenants. Mm-hmm. I don't know that today, either of us, the partners here have the the stomach perhaps to get into buying more retail in, in New York. But fortunately, those deals have held up really well and cash flowed pretty well since buying them. That's great to hear. What about other types of uh, you know properties? Are you guys solely focused on multifamily or is there you know any interest in kind of transitioning or exploring other avenues? Oh, we've done um, a couple small condo development projects that um, have been successful and we were glad to have done. I think right now it's not something we're actively looking at. Maybe it's a risk tolerance thing. Um, mm. And I know that the time's right, but you know who knows? It's an argument to make that the time is right today uh, on that side. Um, and then, you know, otherwise... We, we're trying to really stick to what we know, especially now when pricing's higher and everything's that much more sensitive. Um, like, I think there's a great case for industrial. We just don't know it. So I have no interest right. in competing these people that have been doing it for decades. Understood. Yeah, that makes sense. And it, certainly there is. I mean, I, I literally spoke to someone else earlier today that they are very active in industrial and multifamily, you know, and so, but it's because they've 
they've done it, right? They've done uh, they've done it for a long time. So totally understandable. Have you ever had any deals that have kind of gone sour? Like anything that's, you know, turned out to be a, a rotten apple deal? No, I mean, I could say the uh, one of my, my condo project that I did, we made a little bit of money for our investors, but not much on it because as the last unit was selling, um, the property had a dock that we built and there was like, Flooding that was was like unheard of on the Ohio River. Um, we were we were actually the only commercial residential dock on the Ohio River at the time, and uh, it was actually swept away down the Ohio River as part of it. Turned into like a litigation. I'll, I'll say nightmare because it was a multi-year thing that just was a hang-up and for us to set, and we had to eventually settle it, which wiped away what would have made it an excellent deal to a ah, okay a, a single or a double. So that that one that one uh, definitely irks me and is in, always in my memory. But it's an interesting story for sure. For sure, <laughs> but you know, to be fair, that sounds like uh, you know, obviously that was something that couldn't have been avoided, right? I mean, like a flood wiping off uh, a certain part of your property. I mean, I, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there's also variables that or other factors that came with it, but that was definitely the uh, the tipping point at least that that saw that what would have been a good one to a not so good one and also and you know insurance and coverage for docs and exceptions was also interesting and uh right right you know the HOA and a lot of pretty wealthy people also angry and involved in that suit is, is it's interesting it was interesting okay well uh, <laughs> it sounds like opening up a can of worms over there we do a whole uh whole episode on well, that. i had to answer it honestly <laughs> yes <laughs> well, that's great i, I appreciate that what about, you know, just kind of our last question before we go into the, the final four over here, but what, you know, going, going forward, right? Is there, is there anything that, you know, you would say to someone who is in your shoes, right? Going, looking back, right? You wanted to get in, you were selling, sell, you know, on the beach, right? Going back to your story, reading the books, trying to get started, doing that first deal in Cincinnati. I mean, what, what advice would you give to someone who, uh, Who's starting out like that? I think it all depends on what you want. For me, I wanted to build this into a business that was going to just be with me and and uh, really support me over time, and that I could build and continue to build. Just not do it for a few years at a time. I think if you're just thinking of it from a uh, personal wealth building perspective, I would probably be buying something in my backyard, renting it, and uh, trying to manage it and maintain it myself as efficiently as possible hmm. rather than trying to fly halfway across the country to find the right market, the right time, the right entry point, the right management team. I, I just don't think it makes sense to take on those risks. If you're looking for a deal or two that you could just saddle up with for the next 30 years and let the real estate work for you. But you know, if the goal is to take really more of a business approach, I think you you have to be willing to get uncomfortable. There's going to have to be leaps that you take in the interest of just learning, partnering, continued education, all of those things to ultimately be able to begin. But it's, it's uh, I can, you know, it takes time. It takes time. I think no one will say they jumped into real estate and, well, I, I could be wrong on the syndication, become a millionaire overnight. <laughs> Probably not, but. Why not? But, you know, there are, there are some people that are, are you know, do do different method methods of syndications, uh, maybe doing some things with very uh, jumping off the deep end. 
But yeah, I agree with you. There's probably not probably not very likely to become a millionaire overnight in real estate. It's a long game. It's something that you want to make sure you're doing right. And and I think your advice is great because it really does depend on your situation. But if you're looking at it from a business perspective, a business standpoint, you have to go in it like any other business and be willing to take those risks, make sure to educate yourself and kind of have the right to build it like a business. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's there's that approach. And I mean, if I'm an individual getting into real estate, I have no, you know, I, I said it myself, I still passively invest in deals. I think that deals that make sense that are in some of these markets with the right sponsors, operators, people that have sort of proven themselves and have a track record to cite. I mean, that's that's tough to compete with because there's certainly a safety to scale. And if you don't want to be the one that's that's getting the call to replace the doorknob or whatever it may be, I think it's a very, very efficient way to to build wealth with direct ownership and all of those same benefits. That's great, awesome, Josh. So let's let's transition here into the final four. Right, these are four questions we ask all of our guests. First question to you: What the is the worst job that you ever had? Um, I worked in a friendlies. I was there for one shift, and I I left forever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's 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 hear about that shift. I, I, it was really just a training shift, hated everything about it. And um, I was fortunate in that I was actually able to get a unpaid internship. It was a, a college, a summer college. And I said, well, the little money that I would make at Friendly's, I think I'd be better off figuring out some other way to get some spending money and take this unpaid internship. But that, that would be the one that I would call out as I, I was not looking forward to that summer. You know, so. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, any type of, uh, you know, fast food or anything like that is usually pretty grueling. Uh, hot. Right. Right. What's a book you've read that's given you a paradigm shift? You know, I, I think I could probably point back and there's a few, I, a book that I really liked that maybe is not referenced too much when he asked this question is, um, powerhouse principles, which is, um, Jorge Perez down in Miami. He, it's his own, story um i don't know if it's truly an autobiography but it was a biography of him uh and he really built an empire on his own he was one of the the leads of related and um it's just a really great story he basically started from nothing as an immigrant and and put together his first deal and and just ballooned from there but there's a lot of i think practical pieces of advice and it's very readable as opposed to a number of these books as well Right. Okay. Definitely put that one in the show notes. Definitely one to check out. I hadn't actually heard of that one before. So appreciate always adding a new book to the to the reading list that sure. is ever growing. <laughs> What's a skill or talent that you would like to learn? You know, something that I'm committed to continuing to better myself at is just public speaking. Um, I think it's enormously helpful. We are we ourselves we do well, we used to do a number of live events and I used to speak in front of a room and I think have gotten better and better at it. Um, but I, I think it's a wildly underutilized skill. I think it's something that, that everyone should be doing. And uh, I'm definitely committed to getting better at it. Well, podcasting is a great way to practice. That's true. That's true. Although I, I get to, uh, I get to sit in my room with no shoes on and do this podcast. Though. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. There's a great book for anyone looking to get better at public speaking. Probably the best book on the subject that I've ever read is called Steal the Show by Michael Port. So he actually brings it into really practical examples from not just public speaking, but also 
you know, he was an actor. And so you're talking about, but he also turned it into like business. So talking from, you know, using improv, for example, using comedy, using negotiation skills and all kinds of stuff like that. So really great book. I'll, I'll put that in the show notes as well. Steal the show and you should definitely check it out. I think, uh, I think you'll like right, it. I will. Well, fourth and final question to you, Josh, what does success mean to you? You know, I think it's, um, freedom of time. Not that, you know, I, I think that even today, any given day, anywhere I, I can create my own schedule, do whatever I'd like. I mean, where I won't say that I take too much of that supposed freedom of time that I could have, but that's what I'm in it for. I mean, it, it's, it's not the now it's down the road to be able to really just stop anything and do what really whatever I'd like. But even now, I I mean, a week from today, I'm going to take a a trip and take a day off and it's fine to do. And I'll, I'll be able to do that at my own accord basically. Um, But that's, you know, that's really what I'm in it for. It's, it's my own freedom. And then, and then my family and ensuring that there's a strong base and, you know, legacy and all of those things, I think tie into what I'm in it for day to day. Sure. And are you guys, you're building a, a company, right? Building a business, but is that you're bringing on employees, I assume, hopefully, who are going to yes. start really yeah, running the business. Our, we have our first coming in this uh, summer. So excited for that. Very exciting. Well, it, it is truly exciting. It's great speaking with you. Where can our listeners find you or reach out to you, Josh? Sure. DXEproperties.com is our website. Feel free to reach out. Me or my partner, you can schedule time with one of us directly. And happy to be there as a resource, not just to investors, but talk to people that are just getting started or considering a different investment class, whatever it might be. I'd uh, love to connect. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time. It's definitely been a pleasure. And uh, I hope our listeners got a lot out of this conversation. I certainly did. And, uh, you know, hope to speak with you again soon. Same to you. I appreciate it. Awesome. And to our listeners, remember the best advice comes only when you ask. Real quick, I have one question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I wanna ask you a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message to the whole world is that if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this podcast is out on is that you like my stuff and I'm doing something right. So take a few seconds out of your day, hit that subscribe button, leave a rating review. I would be extremely grateful. Also, I want to hear from you guys. So I want to hear some feedback. If you have any questions for future episodes, please find me on LinkedIn. Send me a DM, a connection request, Yona Weiss, and I'd love to hear from you.